Covering everything from staging to negotiation strategies to home inspection issues and everything in between. Whether you're selling your home, a first-time home buyer, or a seasoned investor, we've got you covered. Let's make your real estate dreams a reality in this fast-moving and ever-changing real estate market. This program is funded in whole or in part by Trusted Agent USA, Illinois license number 475-145-795. Now, now, here's Larry. To Real Estate Radio, hosted by the real estate therapist Larry Shackman, a top producing real estate broker, author, CEO, and founder of TrustedAgentUSA.com, the ultimate real estate matchmaker, connecting you with top performing agents for 2% commission. Each week, we bring you exclusive interviews with industry experts covering everything from staging to negotiation strategies to home inspection issues and everything in between. Whether you're selling your home, a first time home buyer, or a seasoned investor, we've got you covered. Let's make your real estate dreams a reality in this fast-moving and ever-changing real estate market. This program is funded in whole or in part by Trusted Agent USA, Illinois license number 475-145-795. Now, now, here's Larry. All right, welcome you guys to our hump day broadcast of the Real Estate Radio Show podcast. This is a really special show. We have Sam the Man, Prim on, Sam Faster Freedom. And Sam is going to show you how to get into $45 million in debt. And it's going to be a great thing. So we're going to bring Sam on in a second. We're going to bring, of course, our co-host Dylan on in a second as well. Uh, before we get started, I want to Thank our sponsors real quickly here, Trusted Agent USA, TrustedAgentUSA.com. If you want to save a ton of money in commissions and work with the best agents in your industry, in the industry, go to TrustedAgent.com, click on any link to get started. Also, we have, uh, of course, the one, the only Dylan Kramer, Benchmark Mortgage. Thanks for joining us today. He'll be coming on in a second. And we also want to thank At Home Title Services. So having said that, I want to not waste another minute here. And before we bring Sam and Dylan on, I am going to play a short little video that's going to give you a really uh, some insight into Sam and his uh, how he leverages debt and what he's done in the past just few years here, going from zero to, I believe, three or 400 rental properties. And Sam will uh, clear me up on that in a minute. So before we get started, let's check out this quick video. And uh, here's Sam creates massive wealth for me. Let me explain. I am currently right now in $25 million worth of debt. And that debt costs me $130,000 every single month in mortgage payments. Scared yet? Now let's look at the positive side. Because of that $25 million worth of debt, I own $46 million worth of real estate. And that real estate is rental properties. So it brings in $315,000 of rent every single month. So I would not have $21 million worth of net worth and equity if I was not in $25 million worth of debt. So the debt not only allows me to become a multimillionaire, the debt pays my expenses plus my mortgage every single month. If you want to learn how to create massive wealth and you don't come from money, you need to follow me. I will teach you how normal people create financial freedom by properly leveraging debt. I'll take it one step further. Comment the word new below and I will send you an absolutely free 20 minute training on how to do this. All right. You guys excited yet? Let's get into debt. Let's bring Sam on. There he is. Sam. Hey, how are you? I'm doing awesome, man. How are you doing? I'm excited to have you on today. I'm doing well. I'm excited to be on and I love talking about debt. So we're, we're, we're in the right <laughs> spot. I know you do. I know you do. Hey, I'm going to bring Dylan on. Dylan's our co-host and my partner, Dylan Kramer, Sam Prim. Sam, how are you today? I'm doing well, Dylan. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. You know what? I'm in the debt selling business, so I am excited to turn around and talk a little bit about this stuff today. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I love Sam's story. I mean, Sam leverages debt to make a ton of money. And he's going to tell us how to do that and how he's done that in the relatively short amount of time. Right, Sam? I mean, we're, we're talking like six, seven years. 
Yeah, no, yeah. So we started in 2015. So we're going on, you know, yeah, going on that that eight year mark ish right now. And yeah, it's one of those things where if you want to, and I know we'll break this all down, but if you want to create any type of substantial wealth, you need to own assets. I think everybody understands that assets are kind of what create wealth and equity over time. But what if you don't have enough money to buy those assets? Are you just SOL? No, you can borrow money to buy those assets. And if you do it the right way, I mean, don't over leverage yourself, then you can create a lot of pretty uh, substantial wealth pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you let let's go back in time and let's take a look at Sam before he ever got into this. What were you doing? What was that aha moment that, you know, made you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go into real estate. I'm going to use other people's money. And my wife is going to go along with this, I'm sure. It, it did none of it worked how you said, but I'm going to put in the pieces together, <laughs> especially that last part. Um, so yeah, I might, and again, I, I wish I, I had more of like a, a cool, like aha Eureka moment or a cool, like Phoenix uprising. They're going to write a, a movie about, but I, I didn't, which the more I think about it, the more I talk about it, it's, it's more powerful because I didn't have any of that. I was super like grew up super normal uh, Midwest, uh, St. Louis here, you know, lower middle class, didn't like want for anything, but didn't have a ton type of scenario, pack your lunch every day, go out to Taco Bell once a month for five bucks, a whole family would eat kind of thing. So just, you know, didn't know it, but didn't have a ton, but didn't want for anything and went mm -hmm. to college and, you know, was graduating college and was my plan was to just work for a company till I was 60, 65 and retire. Like my dad did. My dad was an engineer, worked for Boeing for 40 years and retired. My mom was a part-time teacher, so didn't have any of that really. And then in college, I, I was looking to make some extra money. Me and a buddy started uh, a painting business. We started painting houses and inside, uh, outsides, uh, you wow. know, fences. it allowed us to party and have fun at night. And you can be a little bit groggy and still paint. Okay. Right. So <laughs> we're able to have fun and make a little bit of money. So that kind of started that entrepreneurial gene in me, I think. And then right. I playing sports and I had that competitive gene. And then I went into the quote unquote real world and I uh, got a job and was selling Caterpillar construction equipment. Good job, good company. Um, but just, I wanted more and, and, and I wanted to be able to have, you know, be able to see what I could actually do. And, and I didn't know what I wanted, but I wanted to do something. And, and Lucas actually sent me cliche again, rich dad, poor dad read that just understood that real estate was a great way to come potentially build wealth. And our goal was, in the next 10 years, let's buy 10 rental properties and then start to pay them off. And that was our initial goal. So we started with these small kind of goals and um, did it on the side. And I didn't know about the process we're going to talk about today. I thought you had to put 20% down to buy a rental property. So I didn't have 20% down to buy a rental property. So my yeah. plan was to flip a house, take the profit and put that 20% down on the rental property. And, and, you know, I learned about this process we're talking about today and everything kind of ballooned from there. So it started from just kind of one little step and thought process at a time. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I want to own a billion dollars in real estate. It was just, no, what's the next thing I could do to give me and my family a little more financial security. And then to round out the long-winded answer we can dig into a little more is I, I just did it and I didn't communicate well with my wife um, and it caused some friction. And I had to end up doing PowerPoint presentations for her for about three or four months with her to show her what I was doing. So I'm a hard headed and I learned and I communicated via PowerPoint. That's fantastic. Yeah. You got to get the wife on board. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, usually so, she'll get on board if you're actually willing to do a PowerPoint, right? Correct. Yeah, that, that helped. That showed a lot. Yes. I put my tail between my legs and started from scratch. And I knew it was a good decision. Um, and I just, you know, I had, a, I had a good job at the time. It started out, you know, like made not very much money, worked my way up and was making really good money. So her, she was like, why are you doing this when you have a good job and we're sitting well financially and the future looks bright at this company? Uh, but I, you know, I, I wanted more and I wanted the longer term vision. I just did not do a good job of portraying that to her. Yeah. And, you know, your initial goal of 10 rental properties in 10 years is relatively modest. I mean, that's not like, you know, you're going out there to slay the world. You just wanted to create a portfolio that was going to bring you that passive income and you could cash out on at the end of the day. That's yeah, no, right? you're right. Yeah, no, I, I didn't have the 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 proper like mindset or vision or maybe confidence even at the time to to accomplish what you know 
most of us and and can, can really accomplish. The original goal was not to end up even quitting my job. The original goal was just to have this on the side. And I think we met one of Lucas's dad friends who had who had thirty five rentals at the time, and we're like, he's the richest guy we know. And we're like, well, let's start to get into rentals a little bit. And one a year seems reasonable with you know full time jobs. And we hadn't started families yet, but we're in the process of getting ready to do that. So it just seemed like a reasonable goal that. Even if that is your goal, it's modest, but any anybody listening, if they buy 10 rental properties in the next 10 years, they are going to be financially set and their kids and the, probably their great grandkids are going to be set with the yeah. wealth and equity that's created over time with owning real estate. And even 10 of them will make a huge financial debt. You know, something you said earlier, me and Dylan talk about often, Every a lot of people out there think you have to put 20% down in order to buy a property which is of course not true, even if you're buying it as an owner occupant, but even more so if you want to go into the investment uh, sphere, niche, whatever you want to call it, like you did, Sam, there's a lot of ways to do that creatively. And, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was kind of selfish because, so I've been doing this 23 years, right? And, but I've been your typical, you know, real estate guy, helping people buy and sell homes. I've done about 15 flips on my own. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, comfortable in all, as a matter of fact, you know, lately, as I get older, I'm not comfortable unless I'm uncomfortable. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. It's like, I, I just, you know, I want to, there's more I want to do, especially as you have less runway in front of you than you do behind you. Uh, so you want to really reach out a little more. And one of my reasons for having you on is, is like to think, what, what is the fundamental difference between me and a guy like Sam? You know, what, what is that fundamental difference that, you know, look, Basically, I know all the talk tracks. I've done it. I, you know, I've done it for other people and I've done flips on my own. I've never really gotten into wholesaling, but uh, I know that you're kind of kind of all over. You, you do a lot of things. I mean, you have uh, rental properties, you have apartment complexes, you have uh, storage facilities, which I think is a huge thing. And one thing I want to touch on with you as well today is um, downtown metropolitan areas are going to be going through a major change in the next, I would say, I don't know, five to eight years, because nobody's coming back to the office. And, you know, these companies are no longer renting out 40,000 square feet uh, to have everybody in there. So they are going to need to repurpose this space. What, what exactly is your feeling about that? And how can someone like you or I take advantage of that? Yeah, no, I, I love it. I think where there's, you know, movement and where there's change is where you need to go, where most people go the other way, right? Everybody's like, get out of commercial. You know, it's a dying industry for all the reasons you said with technology as well as well as after the pandemic, people working away from home. So I do, or per people working at home, I do think it's a huge opportunity. And like everything else, I, I, I tend to, um, you know, take a little bit of pride in the fact that I am able to have perspective, right? A lot of people have, you know, their perception. Perception is like, what is, how is it affecting you? You see the world through your lens only is perception and that's reality for you and that's fine. But to be able to have perspective and remove yourself from a situation, remove emotion, be able to remove, you know, the recency bias and just step back and have that 30,000 square foot view on a big moving industry, your company, your decision is something that I take pride in myself that I'm able to have is not uh, never get too high, never get too low, have perspective and having perspective on the commercial industry, to me, it just it's going to provide a ton of opportunity. That, that real estate's not going away. People still are in cities. People are still in urban environments. Some people have moved to the suburbs. Some people are moving back. You know, the markets breathe and fluctuate, but it's going to require and it's going to provide a ton of opportunity for people to be able to turn that into mixed-use opportunities, for people to turn that into co-working spaces, to be able to turn some of that into residential and the bottom into, you know, maybe some type commercial type, you know, whatever the newest thing is that needs brick 
brick and mortar. So it's just going to provide a ton of opportunity like it has in the past and like it will in the future. And everybody's talking about, you know, electric self-driving electric cars, the future. Well, somebody's going to make a lot of money on what they're going to do with parking garages in these incredible locations in cities mm -hmm. because there's not going to be as many cars on the road. So <laughs> with movement just requires opportunity and just being able to be willing to take some chances, take a little bit of swings and misses, try to hit a few singles before you go all. And I think it's pretty wise, but I do think there's going to be a lot of opportunity in the commercial space. Yeah. Yeah. Dylan, what do you think about Sam's whole model? And You know, Sam, I'm, I'm curious, just, I, I mean, I've done a little legwork, but I think that for everybody listening or watching, tell us a little bit about how it all started, right? Like what, in identifying your first deal, Larry and I um, have talked on occasion about, Hey, you know, house hacking, house hacking on our show, especially when we're on the radio live. And it, it sounds, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm reading between the lines, you did a version of that to kind of get up and running on your first transaction. Am I hearing that right? And if so, can you tell me a little bit about how that came together for you? Yeah, so kind of. So um, the way kind of my definition of house hacking is you, you're living in in a part of it and then you're rehabbing it, whether you're living in a duplex or house. So I didn't move into the house that I was that I was in. The house, the first house I bought, I flipped it and I knew that you could borrow money to flip houses. Um, right. You know, I've seen HGTV show, Flipper Flop, all those shows, right? They have a, a, a sure. rich rich person. They split the profits with them. So that was that was what I did. I It took me, and, and I went back and looked at these numbers recently because I, you know, uh, coach people and talk people through the, the persistence and the, the beating resistance kind of thing. Um, I looked at 35 properties before I bought my first one. I made 35 offers before I bought my first property in 2015. Um, we had, it took me six months to find the private lender that was able to fund the deal. And when I refinanced it, I had 22 banks tell me no. So I think that the, the difference between maybe me and Larry is uh, ignorance and stupidity that I have <laughs> that I just didn't give up. Um, I am but, not buying but, that for a minute. So there was, so there's that, so there's that initial friction you get, but the, how, how basically I did it. And then I'll answer this. And if I answered it wrong, you can rephrase, but in general, you don't need, I don't, I figured out, you don't have to put 20% down in cash banks, and at the majority, there's other ways, 5% down FHA, but in general, banks want 20% equity in a property that they're going to give you a loan on. And most people, because they don't get creative or don't know, they bring that 20% equity in cash. However, if you creatively buy the property at a discount, usually it's distressed, you rehab it, you make it nice, you create equity, and you bring the bank a property that has 20% equity built in it, they will give you a loan for 20% for 80% of the value, which is the same loan as they gave somebody else that gave them that 20% cash. You just did it creatively by buying and, and raising that equity yourself. And then they will 100% these small local banks will finance you. And if you were all into it for less than 80%, you can make money on it, but you just don't have money out of pocket because then you can pay people back. Right. So for, for the people who are newbies and are doing a lot of reading around, really your first transaction was in today's parlance, a burr transaction buy, renovate, refinance, right? Rather than a house hack where you live in it. A hundred percent. The burrs method, as I like to call it, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and scale. Yeah, that's what I have taken that version of how to buy real estate. And I have bought, as you know, Larry mentioned, you know, uh, over 150 single family houses, six apartment complexes, three self-storage facilities, a commercial building and a hotel. And I've done all of that with that BERS method. Now I've done versions of that with the, my bigger properties, my my um, hotel, my uh, apartment complexes. Those are, you know, two, three year BERS, but you can do it in two, three months with houses. So I've taken a version of leveraging other people's money to buy distressed assets. And I've taken that and I've parlayed that into, you can do that in any real estate asset class if, right. if you're buying correctly. Are these all in St. Louis in the St. Louis, Missouri proper area or are yes. you everywhere? Everything. So um, our, we so we um, wholesale and flip 250, 300 houses a year, all in St. Louis. Um, uh, 90 percent of 95 percent of my portfolio is in St. Louis or the surrounding area. The hotel is down in Branson, Missouri, which is kind of like a, I, I say it as a Missourian redneck. It's a redneck Vegas kind of thing down in Branson, Missouri, for those that aren't familiar with it. <laughs> I'm um, very familiar with that, with, with both the term and uh, and that about Branson. It's uh, tell me about the hotel deal. How did that get on your radar? How did it come together? I'm really curious about it. Is it large hotel, small hotel, boutique, to change the marketing in addition to the asset issues, whatever those were. I'm, I'm fascinated. 
It, this is a wild one. And this is one of the newer runs. We didn't add as much rentals in 2023, just with the market shifting, the interest rates just made it a little bit harder. So we didn't grow as quickly in 2023 as we had been, but our, our kind of our big thing, one of the bigger things we did in 2023 was, uh, was that hotel. So it's a kind of a boutique motel kind of thing. It's a kind of interesting story. So um, we have, you know, six acquisition uh, people here in St. Louis that buy houses and contact with wholesalers and agents and they're out there buying houses for our flipping company. Well, one of those, got in contact and a wholesaler contacted them from Branson. Actually, they live locally, but they have connections in Branson. There was this boutique uh, motel like it's like a dinosaur resort kind of thing it's it 20 units uh, 20 units it's got uh it's got studio it's got two bedroom it's got three bedroom it's kind of a hodgepodge of of, of um you know units all in one little deal down on indian point a really really popular place right south of silver dollar city in branson sure. incredible location it was you know kind of went to the wayside mom and pop owned not very efficient and they wanted out of it for what they got into it so we ended up buying it uh for eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars and um we figured it needed about $700,000 worth of work to get it to this Nike boutique field that we wanted. Um, so we bought it for that 850 and we, um, you know, assumed we were going to have to put $750,000 into it. So not to get too convoluted here, we used private lenders for the down payment and then did the other percentage with the bank and then the bank financed the construction as well. And of course we ended up putting a million dollars into it, but um, way more than we thought. But the cool part is, um, it, it's just like a house. We bought it at a huge discount, eight and a half, eight point or eight hundred fifty thousand dollars. The previous owners were going through a divorce. They had this dinosaur theme thing that they took on the road that they were able to make money on and go. It, I don't want to get into that, but it appraised. Um, and everybody says, well, why would they sell it for you at this? Because they were distressed and nobody knows what something's worth until they actually put it on paper. It appraised for 1.9 million um, as it was. So we walked into a million bucks in equity and um, you know, a pro form or a, like a, a predictive index of what it's gonna be worth once it's fixed up with the cash flow we're gonna get because we're turning it into a hotel, but more like a short-term rental type of thing. Sure. We're gonna be able to rent them on a short-term basis. Um, with the cash flow to produce, um, it should be worth well over three and a half million. So it's just, it was a really great deal. Those are few and far between it's not like those are every deal we're doing and everybody says well why would they sell it at that and then you know i want to do that deal well i couldn't have done that deal five years ago like people need right. to understand that some of these bigger deals they right. take you time have, you, you have to do the body of work yep. between your beginning the concept. And, the, and the concept of getting it to your plate i get that yep so yeah. that's so that that's that's that deal it's a it's a really cool deal we're super excited about it. it's uh it's uh going live uh you know branson doesn't have any really tourist stuff going on right now but here in in february it's going to go live What's your weather like now in St. Louis? We just had two snow events in a row here in Chicago. I yeah, we got a little bit of snow. We got like a half an inch of snow on the ground. Nothing crazy. Yeah. We, I, I'm very familiar with Chicago. My my uh, mom grew up in uh, Elgin. Got relatives in Palatine. Got good friends um, up in All North right. Shore, um, North Shore by by Ravinia there in Highland Park. So I'm in Chicago quite often. Um, awesome. and I grew up I grew up going up there all the time. So I, I love Chicago. But you y'all, it always used to be 10 higher um, or 10 cents higher for your um, for your gas, and then about 10 degrees colder. We always used to kind of joke. Yeah. And we got a lot more snows than us, but we get you know two or three snows a year. <laughs> well, if you're ever in town, ring us up. We'll have lunch. Let's get together. But, you know, I'm curious about something because like I, I saw a video that you did about midterm rentals and it's something you're, you're really excited about right now. And I want to get into that a little bit because they're not B&Bs. They're not necessarily someone that's coming in for a week or two but there you can get higher rents on midterm rentals if i'm not mistaken and there's just some differences about that type of uh that type of rental so give us a little background on that and why you're excited about that yeah, I think I think midterm rentals are the next big thing. I think, um, you know, I'm not like in the big prediction business. I'm more in like the prepare, the prepare for what's going to happen business and react quickly business, but kind of a prediction that I don't usually do a ton. I think midterm rentals are going to be huge. I think this is like short-term rentals, Airbnbs. Um, this is like short-term rentals in 2005, these midterm rentals. There is a ginormous demand for 30 
day to 60 to 90 day rentals via traveling nurses, via corporate leases, via um, digital nomads. People are traveling, especially younger people are traveling all the time. They have a job, they can work remote. They just want to live in different cities for, you know, uh, throughout the year. So there's a huge demand. And I just did some research about this because I'm going to be putting out a lot of things about this here in the near future. Um, there is about 1.8 million traveling nurses in, in the country right now. I um, mean, there's there's not exact data, but there's several hundred thousand throughout the country. Other types of you know digital nomads or corporate leases or insurance displacement. My my brother-in-law's house got hit by a tornado, and he was displaced for six months at a time until his house got redone. So those type of needs are out there. But mm -hmm. there's two there's two hundred thousand midterm rentals in the country right now, and there's over a, there's over two million um, people that need midterm rentals right now. So the simplistic supply demand ratio is very far off right now, and it's it's the best. Of both worlds. So on short-term rentals, you get people in and out, you know, on a weekly basis, a weekend basis, they're overbooking it. They're kind of partying, they have family there. They tell you they're bringing eight, they're bringing 12, all this kind of stuff. They live in it hard because they're there for a short period of time. And mm -hmm. long-term rentals, which I still a big fan of, they're great. People live there for an entire year. So every time they move out, there's just so much stuff to fix and you can't get as much rent on a long-term basis. So this midterm rentals is right in the middle. It's 30 to 60 to 90 day leases that these traveling nurses need, um, other people need. And if you're able to provide a really good house, you're able to get way more rent because you're breaking out because you're willing to do something um, that long-term tenant and aren't willing to do is you're willing to give them a 30, 60, 90 day lease, you furnish it, and you're able to really, really cash flow because I personally don't think prices are substantially going down anytime soon. Um, and then I don't think interest rates are substantially going down anytime soon either. So I think the new norm is high prices, high interest rates, and most people aren't able to cash flow on a long-term rental basis. The numbers just aren't chalking up because the cost of money is so high right now that this is that solution for that. This is the solution to where you're able to, I just did a, a example, $85 a, a cash flow on a rental property that I bought. I turned into a midterm rental that cash flows net $750 a month because of the tenant base that you're bringing there. So there's a ton of other things I really like about midterm rentals. The tenant base, they stay there, they take care of it. They're working, they're sleeping, working, sleeping, little low maintenance, um, not like the short-term rentals. So anyways, it just kind of fits that middle ground that's a unique thing with people traveling and technology these days. I think it's going to actually grow. Okay. Sam, in that space, I have another question. And and uh, to, just from a clarity standpoint, it seems to me like that's the type of space where from a payment guarantee standpoint, not only will you make a little more, but it seems that there will be corporate dollars paying those bills rather than personal income dollars paying those bills of the tenants as often as not. And, and that money might be that cash flow might not only be higher, but more reliable. A hundred percent. And a lot of that comes from like traveling nurses is the biggest part of the midterm rental space right now. And I think sure. in the future um, they, they get stipends from the, you know, from whatever, uh, you know, hospital that they are getting um, that they have, they have a contract with. And there's like websites that track all this and connect you with these people. And um, yeah, so you're right. They get, they get stipends from the, the hospitals to spend on housing. So they're willing to spend a little bit more and they're moving out. You know, you get three or four moves out in a year, which is not a huge deal, especially if they take really good care of it, as opposed to three or four moves out a, a month in the short-term space. So you're able to mm -hmm. basically cash flow very similar to a short-term rental. And I think the average occupancy for midterm rentals is 85%. Short-term rentals is like 56%. So you get occupancy is higher, not quite like long-term, but the cash flow is way more. Okay. And do you advertise these units as midterm rentals or how exactly do you do you position that on the market? Because let's say you have this unit that is for rent. Someone comes to you and says, hey, Sam, I plan on being here for two years or I'm definitely going to be here for at least a year. I'd really like to rent this place for, you know, minimal 12 months. How do you approach that? Yeah, so we, we we put them in different funnels. So like if we're doing a if, if we're doing a property that we're going to lend out on a long-term basis, we're going to not furnish it and we're going to list it, you know, on Zillow and MLS and part, you know, places like that where people search for like a a, a long-term rental that they're going to live in for 12 to 24 months. But if we're going to turn this into a short-term rental, we'd make it a little bit nicer. We furnish it 
And then basically the, you can go to Airbnb and places like that and just say your minimum's 30 days, or you can go to Furnish Finder, which is a huge, just like the, the hub. It's like Zillow, MLS, everything combined in one. It's called Furnish Finder. And that is where everybody goes in the midterm rental space. That's where all the um, agencies for nurses are. That's where, ev- that's where everybody goes to find these, these, these midterm type spaces. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's a site that's, uh, you know, you can go, you can see supply and demand. I did it in St. Louis and I have a video on it to where I looked and there was like, just in St. Louis in the past 30 days, there was like, I don't remember, like 15 or 16,000 people that search, not necessarily needed right now, but that search for midterm rentals. And there was like 190 units available in St. Louis wow. or whatever that were at that time. So obviously people could be looking to do research or looking for something they're going to book in the future, but still the numbers do not add up. And then when the numbers don't add up and I hold the, the, the supply and the demand is huge, yep. I, I win. So that that's where, that's where I want other people to do as well. And that's called furnish finder yeah furnished finder furnished with a d furnished finder so they're gotcha. you're just finding furnished i don't love the name the website's kind of outdated i i'm assuming somebody like zillow or some big big person is going to come and buy it at some point as this space grows because i do think we're at the beginning of this space but yeah it's a furnished finder so basically it's you know people you're looking for a furnished uh, uh place to live and, and that's where they look interesting so if you looked at your inventory right now from that ten thousand foot view how would you, how does that look? Like what percentage of properties are midterm rentals? If you have actually gotten into that seriously yet, what percentage are, you know, flips that you're doing? Uh, and how, how does your inventory break out now? If I looked at it from up here. Yes. So you look at from up here, uh, from the the bigger view, um, about 10% of what we have is midterm or short-term rentals. Um, The rest is long-term rentals. And then as far as like the the day-to-day transaction, those are things we hold and keep for a long time. As far as the day-to-day transactions go, um, you know, we buy... 20 to 20 to 30 houses a month, probably closer to that 20 mark, 20 ish houses a month, let's say. Um, And a majority of those, I would say, 60% 60% we wholesale, uh, 20% we fix and flip, and the other 20% we keep as rentals and then put down whatever path makes sense. Because midterm rentals, you can honestly do them pretty much anywhere, but within 10, 15 minutes of a hospital is, is if it's something is within 10, 10, 15 minutes of a hospital, it's a smaller unit. We're going to turn that into a midterm rental any day. Well, Chicago is like a prime market for that because there's a ton, you know, there's Rush Presbyterian here. There's other big hospital, Minnesota is a huge market for that, you know, because of their medical, uh, um, you know, uh, the hospitals that are there. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And are you counting, are you looking at this primarily from the traveling nurse kind of perspective, Mm -hmm. or is there another, uh, is there another genre, if you will, of people looking for, midterm rentals. Um, a majority of it is that traveling nurses. And then I'll finish that. But to piggyback on your point, you're right. Chicago is a, because that's tougher to cash flow with, you know, the, in, the taxes and things like that up in Chicago and the biggest markets, um, which is interesting how the markets fluctuate. Again, that perspective thing that I love, it's usually that I tell people Midwest, Southeast, red states are the best to own single family rentals in just the laws, the taxes, not getting political. They're just better to own real estate in. However, the biggest opportunities are in California, New York, and uh, and Chicago, and those type of states for this midterm rental because your cash flow kind of um, can can be super max succeeded because of the midterm rental space. And you know places like New York and, and even Dallas have recently said no more short term rentals, right? And the way they get around that is they say thirty days or more midterm rentals are thirty. There you days. go. It gets around it. And but then as far as um. Um, well, sorry, I went down a little bit tangent there, but what, what was your other question that I kind of, um, just your general inventory, how that breaks out. Yeah. Uh, So yeah. And yeah, in in general, yeah, it's, it's going to be a a majority of what we do every single day is, is what we wholesale and we flip. It's our, it's our, it's our daily, um, you know, transactions. We have, uh, three companies, 46 employees. The biggest one is the flipping company, the 23 people work for that company. So that's, we need buyers. We have rehabs, we have, you know, uh, contract to close marketing. So that that's the biggest, uh, the biggest head of the, the snake. Um, so that's what gets, uh, you know, kind of everything filters through and then okay. we parse it out from there. Are you doing like on these wholesales where you said you're buying 20 to 30 homes a month and then wholesaling them. So you're buying them on contract and then you're doing, a, and then you're selling it to the end buyer. 
Mm-hmm. And are are you doing typically like double closes in a day, that type of thing? Yeah, a lot of them are double closes and assignments. So I know Illinois is different. The laws are different. You know, you have to be an agent to wholesale more than one a year, whatever that is. It's not like that in St. Louis right now or anytime soon, even though we do have agents on staff um, and, and a brokerage here that we work with. But um, yeah, in, in general, we are double closing or uh, assigning them over to, to people either in the office or, or other people. Um, and, and, you know, making, a, for those that don't know, wholesaling. You're just connecting a distressed property to a, an investor. It's kind of like an agent, but you're doing it on the investing side kind of thing. And, and you, and you get a fee for doing it. So yeah, we, we do, we do quite a few of those. And sometimes we double close, sometimes we'll assign. We're luckily able to, you know, close on something if we have to, to take it down, which kind of differentiates ourselves from a lot of other wholesalers. Gotcha. Gotcha. Dylan, you got any uh, any questions for Sam? No, no not, not off the top of my head. Although I'm, I, it's because my wheels are turning. I, I you know, Sam, I, I guess as my wheels are turning. So let me kind of formulate the question. Um, and, and staying in the sh- uh, the midterm rental space, um, do you think that there's a? Are we going to see kind of a? migration of the the conversation into that space over the next 12 to 18 months. And what I mean by that is there's been a lot of conversation. There was a lot of conversation where rates were low about hacking houses. Then as the market was still shifting a little bit, we got into a lot of burr conversation right in the in the public domain, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think we're hearing a lot about this midterm rental in the public domain. And that do you think that's going to change? Do you think it's going to kind of stay hidden for a while? I think it's going to change because people like me are going to talk about it. And, and part of the the reason that I'm able to somehow get I have uh, 2.8 million followers on social media and I'm not like buttoned up and I mumble and I slur and I talk too fast, but because I really give good quality information because I'm actually doing it. I'm not talking about yeah. something I used to do. I'm talking about something I'm doing. And I'm an investor that talks about it on social media. I'm not a social media person that talks about investing, right? So there's a big difference. Um, And so I do think it's going to really catch fire here in the next, uh, you know, six to 12 months and beyond. And just like short-term rentals, it just grew, grew, grew. I remember hearing about short-term rentals heavily in 17 and 18. And then by 2019, I'm like, am I too late to this space? And then that got super saturated, especially after COVID. So I think it's going to be super, super, um, you know, in the face of everybody, maybe not quite like the birds, but pretty, pretty close to that in the next 12 to 18 months. And I could be wrong. And, and Larry, you did mention earlier, that's a question I missed was, um, is there anything, any people besides um, traveling nurses that, that need uh, midterm rentals? And yes, I mean, a huge portion of of um, what we and what the space is. The majority of it is uh, traveling nurses. Again, there's I looked at all the stats up 1.8 million traveling nurses in the U.S. right now. And some people say that's going to continue to grow mm-hmm. as as hospitals are willing to pay for pay somebody to come in town that's better than the people they have because of the shortage of nurses. So it's going to be more of a premium, but then, so there is traveling nurses and there's not enough of them. So just that's enough to support it in my opinion, but um, we have rented. And I know a lot of people in the space that I've rented, uh, you know, corporate leases, somebody's, they have somebody coming in town with a family and that person, they, they, hired them from another company or they got transferred from another division in their company and they need to live somewhere for two or three months while they find a house to buy. They want to get there, but they don't have somewhere to live and they're not going to put up somebody in a hotel for two to three months with their dog and their two kids and their wife or their husband. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's, that's a huge part of it. And then digital nomads are huge. I am like, older millennial, but a, a lot of the millennials in the younger generation, they want to, they work virtually and they want to live in Austin for three months. And then they want to live in Chicago for three months. And they, then they want to go to Mexico and they want, and they do that and they want to, do that, and they will continue yeah. to do that. And technology yeah. will make that easier for them to still perform at their job and do that. So, um, Traveling nurses, I think, is always going to be the foundation of it. But I do see some of these other things kind of starting to fill in the, the, the demand even more when the supply still has to catch up. Yeah. You know, you see a lot of them on TikTok. You know, Sam has 1.9 million followers on TikTok. And I'm on there a lot because, you know, I, I I like a lot of the funny stuff on there. I love your stuff. But basically, I'm watching dogs and cats piss each other off. Mm-hmm. So, it, but you see a lot of these uh like you said, nomads that are the younger folks that are going around living in Mexico for three months, then coming back to the States, then going here. And that's a huge market, I think. And I think that's only going to get bigger 
because the economy has changed completely since the pandemic. It's it's a different economy now. We're living yeah. in a gig economy. Sam, let me let me shift gears on you. I got a I question agree. for you because I think there's a uh, there's an investor. A lot of people are like, "Hey, I would love to be an investor, right?" I mean, geez, I I, I I'm going to date myself. You may not get the reference, but Larry will. I remember watching Dave Del Dotto uh, sell real estate uh, training courses at you know uh, midnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, know. I actually um, remember that. And I'm but 10 but years the thing is, people always ask themselves, "Hey." I would love to end up being a, a real estate investor and get rid of my day job. How many transactions or how much time did it take you before you were like, you know what, I got to leave, I got to leave this other career thing I thought I was going to do behind because this is demanding my full attention. And I'm, I'm very specifically phrasing that because it sounds like you, that's really how this came together for you. You're like, look, look, this, this, what I'm doing, what you're doing now demanded your full attention. How long did it take for you to get there? Yeah, great question. So it took me about three years. And I think there's a lot of different factors that go into, um, you know, somebody wanting to do that. Like I have, uh, I, I coach people all across the entire country about how to do kind of the methods that I have done and am currently doing because real estate is just, there's so many levers to pull, right? At most investments, you buy or you sell or you hold real estate. There's like 12 different levers you can always pull depending on what the market's doing. So I coach people how to do that. And for me, it was about three years. And Part of it was because um, we were super aggressive after we saw the power of it. And part of it was we um, we bought so many rentals because I was trying to replace my W-2 income with rental income, sure. which is which looking back is stupid, right? Like how I buy how I buy real estate, you're gonna cash flow three, four hundred bucks a month, you know, net net per door. How many of them those might have to buy to replace my salary and then to not have to have any like cushion? And it just wasn't the right way to do it. So what helped me kind of make that happen faster was understanding that I need to become an expert at finding distressed properties. Once I build a team and processes and systems to find distressed properties, I can keep some as rentals. I can flip some and I can wholesale some so I can feed my active income need as well as build passive income on the side. So that's what really did it for me. And as far as if somebody's trying to do it, replacing their W2 income with rental income, man, it's, I would say it's going to take 50, 60, 70 rentals. And how long is that going to take you to, to replace right. it, do it the right yeah. way? So you need to mix in flips and wholesales, in my opinion, if your goal is to get out of your job. So are you looking at pre foreclosures, the shadow inventory and, you know, other things like that, that, you know, we, that haven't come yet, but are, are in that pipeline. Yeah, so we have, we kind of have two main pipelines that we're that we're feeding and monitoring every single day. One of them is that um, the networking pipeline. So we network with real estate agents. We bought fifty houses last year in twenty twenty three from real estate agents that brought us their pocket listings or their pain in the butt. You guys are in the retail space, so you understand. You know, a good agent is going to do 15, 20 transactions a year. Ninety percent of them are the we don't. I don't need to be in. I don't need to be involved. But it's that one that's that hoarder house that won't pass occupancy that hasn't been updated in forty years. It's going to be a pain in the butt for them to sell. There's going to be a ton of credits on the back end. There's going to be all this pain for them to sell or they have the rapport with the client. They call me. I come in. I offer them the easy button, the all cash closing two weeks done. If you want it, if not listed with him, we're never we don't put any pressure on them. But like we get a lot that way. And from dealing with wholesalers and dealing with, you know, we buy houses from a bowling alley owner. He puts above his above his bowling lanes a small hole in the wall and say that with um, with that. I like the hole in the wall style. But above his lanes, Ben buys. Uh, houses and he's in the drinking leagues with the people bowling and the funds and the parties and all this stuff and yeah. life happens and people come to him and say hey i just my i inherited this house or you know my my neighbor uh parents just passed away and they inherited the house or they need to move an assisted care facility or whatever's happening then he calls us and we pay him and we go buy the house so um there's those type of funnel the networking funnel and then we do paid marketing so you know we do the mls stuff as well but like you know paid per ads on on google or facebook ads or we do direct mail we do bandit signs um you know we we do a lot of use life technology um and we pay money uh every single month to get marketing leads so we have our networking and our marketing leads is what we call them okay i want to move on to the investors that you work with and that other person's money that you're working with to finance these deals. I'm assuming you're still doing that. You're still leveraging other people's, you know, you're still leveraging debt with other people's money. I'm going to guess you're probably paying out about 
12%, somewhere yep. around that. Mm -hmm. um, are you working with a handful of investors, like right now at your point, are you working with a handful of investors now that you've just been working with for a while? And so you get this deal and you show them the numbers, you show them how it's going to work, how they're going to get their 12% back over the next 12 months or whatever it is. And, or are you still out there beating the bushes for investors to work with? So a little bit of both. So we're not beating the bushes near as much as we were at first to get that stable core of uh, private lenders is what you're alluding to. Yes, that's majority of what we use is private lenders. And it took me six months, as I mentioned earlier, when we were talking about my first deal to find my first private lender. But um, that's exactly what we did. We found them. We, we explained the deal to them. We personally guaranteed there's return. Um, you know, we added them, you know, as uh, we did a promissory note with them. So you do it all the right way. It's a great way to them. Put to them on the insurance. You put them on the deed. Everything. Thing. So there it's, I don't want to, it's basically a guaranteed 12% return, which nobody can get anywhere. So it's a great pitch and it's backed by real estate. So we were able to get the right person in, in, in line with that. Then we did a deal and then we paid them back. Then we did another deal, paid them back. And then they told their friends and then it just kind of balloons. People that are financially set to a certain degree tend to hang out with other people that are financially set to that mm -hmm. same degree. People hang around kind of who they are. And so then they they tell their friends they have too much to drink and brag about it or they just send them an email very intentionally to tell them about it, right? So <laughs> yeah. they, it just kind of goes throughout their circle and then it starts to grow from there. But you got to do a lot of legwork to get that first part of that snowball to kind of start to roll down yeah. that hill. But then they come, they come to you you to a certain degree and that's happened they come to us no we don't need money right now or hey we'll need money or we got this creative deal that that's nice when you can tell someone we don't need money right now yeah exactly because we're looking to grow and we, you know i do all right for myself but we want to grow and scale and and the best way to do that is to still borrow money like all these people like these people that are in stratospheres that i don't even understand like elon musk and all these people they still borrow and leverage money like people don't people get afraid of this debt thing but if you properly leverage it that's how the world and the economy works like i the great example i would say like mark zuckerberg facebook right like he borrowed money to make facebook better and then he took the ad revenue from facebook to pay back who he borrowed the money from he would eventually figured it out but it happened so much faster because he borrowed money elon musk bought twitter now x he didn't use his own cash he didn't cash out all his tesla stock he did a little bit but he borrowed money from other people and brought investors on the board and leveraged money got into debt owed them money to to buy it and to grow and to scale it because he didn't want to liquid liquidate too much so if you can understand the power of a leveraging and if you can do it the right way it just puts your wealth and your financial success in hyperdrive it, it's it's so simple but it's not easy you borrow money to buy an asset that asset produces cash you pay off who you borrowed the money from with the cash from that asset and you own that asset so that's it that is very simplest form i just do that with real estate because i'm not smart enough to do that with a social media app or with a company like amazon who jeff bezos borrowed money to start so I do with real estate because I'm not smart enough to start a new app and understand technology and everybody needs real estate, but anybody on you can do it. It's a beautiful thing. You just have to get to a comfort level and understand that you're borrowing money to buy an asset, not to buy your third motorcycle or to buy a yacht. You have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, because I'm thinking very seriously myself about talking to you about doing this kind of thing in Chicago because this now there's a guy in Chicago his name is Andrew Holmes you might have heard of him he started Chicago RIA now it's National RIA he has about 9000 members in Chicago these are all different types of investors you know many many are newbie investors that come on to like you said if you want to do something get around people that are doing it and you're going to learn from those people and you're going to learn from their mistakes and they're going to be able to help you. And when you get involved in like a Chicago RIA or a national RIA or some other organization like that, um, you're going to have access to hard money lenders. You're going to have access to other things. So I think it's super important to, uh, to kind of surround yourself with people like like a Sam Prim, like an Andrew Holmes, like other people that, you know, like Andrew is the Sam Prim of Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're primarily in St. Louis. Are you poised at all to 
venture into other markets like other Midwest markets, for instance, Chicago? I think potentially to a certain degree, but there's just real estate such a big, you guys understand it. A lot of people don't like, um, every time I'm on a plane, I'll fly and I'll look down whether I'm with my wife or my business partner, be like, our $47 million in real estate is like those three blocks and look around and we're talking yeah. St. Louis, a mid to smaller market. So it, there's just so much room for us to grow in St. Louis and kind of some of our goals are to make St. Louis a more desirable city and, and kind of to get involved here locally. So I could see us branching out a little bit, um, but I think the Midwest and St. Louis and Missouri, we got plenty of room to grow here always. And we're going to continue to push here, go deeper rather than wider. I feel like we you get a lot of advantages the deeper you go. So that's mm -hmm. kind of our plan. I'm sure we'll stretch out and do it eventually. And, and uh, to piggyback real quickly off your point about getting around other successful people like you're going to pay for if you want to try something new you're going to pay for the education you're either going to pay for it through mistakes and loss of profit or you're going to pay through it by like paying somebody or just even just being around people that are free that are doing it so you have yeah. to so many people don't start because they can't get over their ego of like needing to pay or just be around other people that are willing to help i pay a lot of money a year to be the smallest person in the room and learn through osmosis, through connections, through through just actual ways to do things. And then I've been fortunate enough to become the bigger person in that room. Guess what? I leave that room and I pay more money to be the smallest yeah. person in the next room. Yeah. And that that's what I've learned from the most successful people I've ever been around is they put their ego aside and they pay a lot of money to be the smallest person in rooms. Not not that it's hard for me to do this, but I always tell Dylan, if, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I am 100% in the wrong room, right? I mean, you want to be surrounded by people that can help you grow, not surrounded by people that can slap you on the back and say, wow, look at you. You know, look what you've done. No, that's not going to help you grow. That's not going to help you expand on what it is you're already doing. So like I said, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because I really, really want to take a serious look at getting into multifamily properties using other people's money, because I think there's a just a ton of opportunity for that in Chicago. And also what I'm seeing in Chicago is a lot of younger people are really, really wrapping themselves around the idea of house hacking, which we touched on earlier, which, you know, those two things don't really coincide with what I want to do and what they're doing. But I just find that interesting that a lot of these younger people are starting to look at, you know, if I buy a four flat, and I'm living in one of them and renting out the other three, um, I'm practically living for free. And at some point, someone's going to have paid this property off for me. And now I can move on to the next adventure. Yeah, no, I 100%. Dylan, I think you had something. Yeah, I did. Hey, Sam, I wanted to ask you uh, really two questions. The, the first one is, just for the people who are listening or watching, what are the one or two things you would do first, having learned the lessons that you've learned to kind of get started or jumpstart whatever their agenda or finding their agenda might be? And then the second question is um, bringing this back to kind of some of the stuff um, in looking at your website. Do you have access to education for pay rather than learning lessons the hard way that you might be able to tell people listening about? Um, that in terms of the product or service available from your company. For sure. Yeah. Thank you for both of those. Yes, um, for sure. So in, in general, I think that um, uh, I'll kind of take them in reverse order. So yes, I, I do have uh, products and, and coaching and things like that. I don't like pitch it and talk about it a ton, but we, we have 1600 students around the country. We have a ton in Chicago um, that own over 200 million in real estate. So I think kind of the proof is in the pudding there a little bit as far as what we offer and, and, you know, being around other people, I tell people um, we're creating wealth here, not widgets. So it's going to take time, energy and effort and getting around other people and just helping me show you the grooved path to become a multimillionaire is worth a lot more money than you're paying me to help you do it. So um, we do have that. And anybody that's interested, just hit me up on Instagram or, um, you know, contact our website for sure. So wanted to get that out there. Yeah. I don't like sure. want to make it a pitch fest, but it is, I used to shy away from it, but I've seen the success two years in 1600 students. Um, I've seen the success of people quitting their job, buying 40 rentals in their very first year, getting their first property under contract ever in the first two weeks of being in the program. So I believe in it now. So I, I don't, I don't shy away from telling people about it. So um, that, and then uh, well, your first question was, 
was really what are the first one or two things? Oh yeah, that, for sure. Okay. Normally, because you know, once you do the first few, your path starts to diverge, but there's always a, a very similar starting point for the first couple of steps. I love that because I, I people that bugs me. One of the few things that bugs me, I'm pretty laid back guys. People that speak in absolutes, like you have to do this, which is what you alluded to, right? Everybody's path goes in different ways. So if you follow somebody's exact path, right. probably not going to work out very well. However, I do agree. There's a couple of foundational things to do. And there, there's two main things I tell people to do. And we alluded to them a little bit earlier, but I want to kind of streamline package them for what everybody should do. If they're wanting to start investing in real estate, this is my opinion on the first two things to do, and then it'll diverge from there. The first is get a base level of knowledge. Listen to shows like this. Go on YouTube. I have a podcast, a Faster Freedom Show. Like, Listen to other people that are doing it. You need to get a base level of knowledge to understand, like Larry said earlier, what's the difference between assignments and double closes? What does ARV mean? What's the difference between short-term rental and a long-term rental? Like, You need to get a base level of knowledge so when you're around other people, when you're learning, when you're researching things, when you're watching videos, you understand the lingo and it sinks in. If you just go all in or try something and don't have that base level of knowledge, you're just going to get confused and it's not going to sink in and you're going to be inefficient. I like efficiencies. I want things to be done quickly the right way. So getting a base level of knowledge, like listening to show every single time it comes out, reading books, listening to other people that have been there. So get that base level of knowledge to me is step one. And step two we alluded to is get involved in a local community. I think the free path first, obviously I have a paid path, but I think the free path first. Go join your local meetups, join your local Facebook group, join your local RIAs. Like you go into a local Facebook group, which some of them are good. There's knuckleheads in a lot of them too as well. But if you ask for a plumber, you're gonna get several plumbing lead sources. If you ask for um, you know, somebody to sell you houses, you'll see a bunch of wholesalers that you gotta be careful of and make sure the deals are good and underwrite. But still, you're just gonna immediately be around other people that are active. And that's especially the case in those local meetups those people actually driving somewhere and meeting in person and shaking hands. So you need houses, you need houses to buy, to sell, you need insurance agents, you need rehabbers, you need contractors, you need lenders, you need lawyers, you need everybody. And they all meet together in the real estate space mm -hmm. online and in person. So those are the first two steps to me. Get a base level of knowledge always, but especially at first, and then connect with your local community. If you do those two things, you'll connect and you'll have somebody, they'll take you under their wing and maybe that's the direction you go. Or maybe you'll try to get into the house hacking or maybe the four units or maybe even starts with single families or wholesaling. So again, those are the two things. And then you kind of take it for whatever tickles. Or your maybe you do a that. joint venture. Maybe you start Very out doing true. joint ventures, you know, mm -hmm. and yep. learn that way. Those are great questions, Dylan. I, that really, uh, those are two super important things, I think. Get that Thank base. Thank you, Larry. Knowledge. Yeah. This is why we co-host. Listen, you're amazing. He said uh, all that bad stuff about you before you got on, and he's uh, taking it all back. Yeah, me and now. Sam were on for about does. 10 minutes. I prepared him for you. Um, no. Um, so, yeah, Sam, I mean, you're doing amazing stuff. Like, I'm curious though, like a guy that like me, that's been doing this for a long time. I've done a moderate number of my own flips. I've never lost any money on a flip. I've done them all around the Chicagoland area, St. Charles, Geneva, you know, Aurora, Joliet, whatever. Mm -hmm. I was the largest REO agent in Illinois for probably eight or nine years when we were going through that whole mess. And really, I mean, I can identify a good deal pretty quickly, um, you know, fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but so really for me, if I would want to go about it the way you've done it, my thing is getting the investors on board, getting the uh, getting those people on board that are going to finance these deals and do you find that like 12% is that is that what gets people's eyes wide and where they say, hey, if you can get me 12% in a year or how does that work? How does that time frame work when you're talking to a potential partner? Yeah, so there's there's two main funding sources that you and everybody else here should look to if they want to get into real estate, if they're wanting to like finance the purchase and rehab of these distressed properties. And and the first one's the easy one. That's hard money lenders. Um, you know, they're they're probably going to be more than that 15% range, but people need to understand these these higher percentages, these are annualized. So if the if the loan's out for six months, you're not paying a 15% return, you're paying a 15% annualized return. So it's just part of doing business. If you don't have the money yourself, you're gonna have to pay for it. So it's like I say you can finance to flip yourself and make 50 grand profit 
But if you don't have any money, you make zero profit. Or you can pay somebody 10 grand of that profit, which is a lot of money, but you make 40 grand. So you want zero or 40. So what are your options? So um, that's what I always tell people. So hard money lenders, Google them, um, ask about your local RIAs, ask about your local meetups. They're a great resource. They're a little more expensive. They are going to maybe look into your W-2, your credit history. So they're a little more, um, you know, a little bit harder, a few more hoops to jump through, but they will fund the deals if they're a good deal. And they're like a second set of eyes. They won't fund it if it's a bad deal. So there, that's a great way to make some connections with hard money lenders, but the secret sauce and the difference maker is those private money lenders that you're alluding to, those 10 to 12%. And most people um, struggle to find private lenders at first because they look in the wrong spot. If I want to, um, if I want to um, go golfing and 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 you know find a golf ball, I'm not going to go to Wrigley Field, right? You have to look in the right spot for the right thing. And most people think private lenders are a rich parent, they are a rich aunt, a rich uncle, somebody with ten million dollars in the bank that's going to give you some money. The people with ten million dollars in the bank, if they have that much in the bank, they have hundreds of millions elsewhere, and they're not worried about your ten percent on one house. So you're looking in the wrong spot, and you're looking for something you're not going to find. That's that reference of the Wrigley Field that hopefully hit. But in general, the most hard, most private money lenders, they're your normal everyday people. They're people, and this is uh, speaking little generalities, but the majority of, of, of private money lenders, those younger ones, those older ones, they're in their 40s or 50s. They're a W-2 corporate employee. They have lived at their house for 15 or 20 years. Their kids are in high school. They've contributed to an IRA for the past 20 years. They have a 401k. They can self-direct their IRA. They have equity in their house that they could pull to lend you. They have money in the, you know, the stock market. They have a, a they have a money market account they can pull money from. They have a decent portfolio built up that they are willing to diversify with you. You're not asking them for all their money. You're asking them for 100 grand from one and 50 grand from the other so you get your 150 grand you need from the deal and it's a diversification play for them that allows them to have another stream of income based on what they've built. It's people that are normal everyday people, an insurance agent, an engineer, your parents' boss, your grandparents' neighbor. That's who it is. It's normal everyday people that are looking to put a little bit of money aside because you have developed a relationship with you or somebody you know has. So those are the type of people that you need to look for. And as soon as I tell my students that, and as soon as they see the difference, most of them not all, within two or three months are finding somebody when they were finding, trying to look before, they were just looking in the wrong spot. They'd go through their phone, text everybody they think that has money and say, you want to give me money to invest in real estate and everybody leaves them on red as kids right. say these days. So you just yeah. got to look in the right spots and have the right conversations, be willing to have them over and over. Yeah, makes sense. Listen, we're going to wrap this up, but before we do, I want to give everyone a chance to find out what is the best way to get in touch with you and, uh, you know, just start their journey or continue their journey. Yeah, the best way is, is, is Instagram. You can obviously go to our website. I see that scrolling across the bottom. That's fastfreedom.com. So thank you for that. But the best way to get in contact with me is, is on Instagram. I'm on all social media. You mentioned TikTok earlier, but the messenger that I'm much more active in and that's much better messenger is Instagram. So it's uh, my name is Sam and my company's Faster Freedom. So Sam Faster Freedom, um, or you can just type in Sam Prim on Instagram. Um, uh, just hit there, shoot me a follow. If you don't mind, just shoot me a message and I will gladly answer it, point you in the right direction, send you some training, send you a video. I'm I'm in the messenger every day. Most people um, that have the kind of size following I have um, aren't in their messengers, but I, I enjoy it. And I think it's a very fruitful use of my time to help people and provide solutions that, um, you know, help them and then end up usually wanting to learn more from me. So uh, you will get a hold of me if you DM me on Instagram. Awesome. Dylan, you got anything else for Sam before no, we, man, let him we, go? We, we we just covered it. I think that the follow is the, the, the way to play it. You know, so sometimes I would ask if you have something that you want to, uh, you know, have somebody drop their email or get something or whatever, but they can just follow you and it sounds like it'll be fine. Yep. Let's leave it there. Yep. You got it. Sam, thanks a lot for, we'll, we'll talk again because I'm serious about wanting to get something going here in Chicago and uh, Hey, you, you might be my next mentor. Who knows? There you go. You never know. I'm here for it, Larry. And I appreciate that, Dylan. Thank you very much for uh, hanging out with me for a little bit. All yeah, right. Yeah, man. Have a great day, man. I'll see you. See ya. Okay. All right, everybody. That was Sam Prim. And I think we got just a ton of great content out of that. What do you think, Dylan? Absolutely. That's it. You know what we do? We've been doing this for a while now, Larry. That's the best Wednesday podcast we've had. So it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And gives me about three things for us to cover offline. So we'll get to that. Yeah. And Saturday we'll revisit some of this stuff. Uh, but, you know, Wednesday, like we talked about, is our deep dive day where we 
really uh, dive deep into a specific subject and then maybe covered a little bit on Saturday the finer points of what we discussed on Wednesday. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I'm glad to get back after it on Saturday. So let's yeah. uh, let, let, let's wrap this for the people now since we're already at past our hour. Yeah, so we will see all of you guys on Saturday at 9 a.m. live from WCPT 820 a.m. Do not forget to tune in. Uh, we got a lot of, lot of stuff to talk about. Lots going on in the real estate market. And uh, me and Dylan will be here for you. So we'll see you Saturday from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock, WCPT 820 a.m. Dylan. Thanks, we'll Larry. see you soon. You got it, man. Okay. All right, everybody, we are going to wrap this up now. And before we do, I just want to remind everybody that, hey, if you're looking for a great book to give you some very basic information, whether it's on investing, purchasing, staging, uh, and what works in real estate, just text 630-921-0611 to me, just text the word book to 630-921-0611, and I will send you a link to get your free ebook, The Top 10s of Real Estate. And these are 32 proven top 10 real estate lists that will pretty much guarantee you make a lot less mistakes than I did when I started and help you really max out your profit, whether you're buying, selling, or investing. So, um, Having said that, you guys have a great rest of the week. We'll see you on Saturday at 9 a.m. WCPT AM 820 out of the Chicago market. And of course, we'll still be streaming live um, here and uh, on Facebook, on YouTube, on LinkedIn. So you guys uh, tune in and we will see you then. But for now, we are going to say... We are out of here. Welcome back to Real Estate Radio. Thanks for joining us on Real Estate Radio with your host, Larry Shackman, the real estate therapist and top producing broker. Now go to trustedagentusa.com and save thousands when you sell, buy, or invest. Illinois license number 475-145-795. Tune in next week for the ultimate real estate radio experience. Thanks for joining us on Real Estate Radio with your host, Larry Shackman, the real estate therapist and top producing broker. Now go to trustedagentusa.com and save thousands when you sell, buy, or invest. Illinois license number 475-145-795. Tune in next week for the ultimate real estate radio experience.